You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's lesson, the Abrahamic Covenant, the first of the four redemptive covenants, Philip Edwards will examine the covenant of faith God presented to Abraham. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can study past modules, register for future modules and see all the other ministries we have to offer. You can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Welcome to week three of Covenants. Uh, If you're present in the room or you're on podcast or online, uh, you're very welcome to be with us again. Let's pray before we start the study this evening. Father, we just uh, want you to continue to reveal to us uh, more about the covenant that you chose to enter into with us. We want to fully understand it. We want to maintain that covenant. We want to find ourselves responsible for the things that you've asked us to do. And we look to you, Lord, uh, to be our teacher. We pray that you'll reveal things to us by your Holy Spirit and help us to receive the truth you want us to understand this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This subject is progressive and expanding. This is week three of what will be uh, eight weeks of study. Because it's expanding all the time, I think it's necessary for us to do recaps from time to time to see where we've got and where it is we're going to go. We'll probably do these week by week. We have said that a covenant relationship is the highest relationship that we can enter into. We spoke about friendships and acquaintances. We spoke about blood relationships. But the covenant relationship is the highest relationship of all we saw that Adam and Eve broke covenant with God. And over the 4,000 years that have elapsed since that, and then the other 2,000 since Christ came, we see that God is joining us together again. He's reconstructing the covenant that was broken. He does this in progressive stages. He just didn't do it with one covenant, but we see a succession of four different covenants until we get to where we are today. The Abrahamic uh, covenant, the covenant that God made with Israel through Moses, the Davidic covenant he made with David, and then finally the covenant he's made with us, his church, through Jesus Christ. We've looked at the nature of covenant. We've said that it's God-initiated, It is by grace that God has set the terms. It embraces all of our lives, not just the spiritual part of us. And God will provide the dynamic to enable us to keep the covenant without realising what Christ came to do in the new covenant. We could never keep the covenant. We discovered that from the covenants of the Old Testament. They couldn't keep them, so Jesus had to come and do something quite dynamic to make this possible. And then we looked last week at the covenant bond. We looked at the promise, the oath, and the sacrifice. This week we get down to part one of really the heart of the teaching, which is to examine the first covenant, the covenant he made with Abraham. This was a covenant of faith. In the context of covenant, faith is more than an intellectual assent to a concept or an idea. Sometimes uh, faith is, uh, in Jesus Christ is something like that. It's, it's like a concept that we're presented with, and yes, it's real and it affects our hearts, but it's something we hold in our mind that this This person, Jesus, came and died for us and we put our faith in what he did and faith in in what he said. The covenant that we're going to look at here, it's a, a covenant about trusting in the character of God. It's about who God is. It's exercising faith in the character of God himself a character that then he wants to bring us into relationship with him. 
in the Garden of Eden, God made a promise to Eve. We're going to look at that. Uh, what is the promise? God also promised Abraham in the covenant that he made with him three things. Uh, there was the seed. We'll examine what that means this evening. The land that goes with the seed and the universal blessing. As we study each of the covenants, we'll see that these three parts are in each one of them. Finally, we'll look at the essential qualities of each covenant. Let's then start with the Abrahamic covenant. In relationship to each covenant, we shall ask the following questions. Number one, what is the nature and scope of our relationship in this covenant? Number two, what is it that God promises to do and give to us on oath? It's important that we know that. What has he promised us? And the third thing is what are we expected to do to receive the benefits of the covenant? We would need to know all of these things to benefit, for him to benefit from the relationship that he wants and for us to benefit as well. The covenants are progressive. As time passes, each covenant adds to the previous one. It starts with this one, the Abrahamic, and then it moves on to the Mosaic covenant. So we're just dealing with the Abrahamic one tonight. So this is almost like the foundation of the four covenants that we will look at. The first covenant is made with Abraham. It is a covenant of faith. So this is the basis of all relationship that we have with God. It's in faith. It's a covenant of God's graciousness towards us. He didn't have to enter into a covenant with us. He chose out of his own graciousness to come and do this. Because it's a covenant of grace, the only response of man is one of faith. When God wants to grace us with something, give us something, we can only receive it by faith. And everything that comes from God to us can never be earned. It's always a question of, I want to give you something. Will you by faith receive it from me? But we like to pay our way, don't we? We like to earn things. We like to think that we've done something in this whole deal, but you can't. Before it, where I was in ministry in London, we had a cafe. In the cafe, we gave everything away free. It was free. Some people who came in and enjoyed the cafe, they couldn't cope with it being free. They almost insisted that they would pay for it. But you can't, can you? Once I've given it to you and it's free, you can put money on the table, but you can't pay for it because it's free, it's yours. We had a donation box and we said, well, you can, you can freely give us a donation if you want to, but you can't buy this off us. We can't buy anything off God. We need to get this because our very system works against that. We want to earn some of the things that we do from God. And then we think we deserve it. God owes this to me. God owes us nothing. It's a covenant of grace. And we receive it freely by faith. Grace and faith always go together. You can't separate them. Paul explains this in Romans 4 and 16. It says, therefore... The promise comes by faith. We're going to have a look a little bit later at what the, the promise is. But whatever it is, this thing, the promise, it comes by faith, Paul tells us. So that, if it, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offsprings, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of faith, or the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the Old Testament, those that lived under the law still had to come to a God of grace and receive by faith. Us, under the new covenant, we also come to a God of grace and receive things by faith. Nothing has changed. 
And sometimes when I look at those Old Testament saints, I think they're a whole lot better than the New Testament saints I see around sometimes. So, but it was always faith and grace. We got the idea sometimes that once you slip from the Old Testament to the New, everything changes. It doesn't. God can't change. God is the same, the same in the Old and in the New. Grace, then, is never earned, and it can only be received by faith. It is by trusting. It is a free gift. It says in Romans 4, 3 and 5, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. You're trusting, you're trusting in God. You're not trusting in simply what the Bible says or words. You're trusting in the character of God himself. God has said something. So you're looking to him. You're trusting the character of God is your faith. You need to know his character. You need to know how good he is, how trustworthy he is, and you're trusting his character. Because you trust in God, he declares you righteous in his sight. This is what the writer says here. God has gifted you righteousness. You can't be more righteous. You can't, you can't make yourself more righteous. You're either righteous or you're not righteous. The minute you put your faith in the character of God... He declared you righteous. What he's done then, he's put you on a path, on a road. And it's the road of holiness. And as you progress down this road, you change in your heart and your attitude and you become more holy. But listen, from the day that you trusted in the character of God, he declared you righteous and you cannot be more righteous in his sight can be more holy, but not more righteous. You are in right standing with God. That means if I die or you die, which any moment that you die, you are righteous in his sight. It is one state, one state. Now, we can develop our holiness, like I said, in the journey that we move along and the sin falls away and we become more like Christ. But that's not righteousness. Righteousness is who you are as you stand before him, and he has called you righteous. What is this faith that Paul talks about here? It is trusting in the character of a personal God who has bonded himself by covenant. You are trusting in the character of God. So what God has said, he can never let you down as you trust in him. You want to know every promise that he's ever made to you through all the covenants, old and new. And as you read them and think about them, God says, I will do this for you. You have to do your part. But listen, I have declared it. And I'm not moving away from it. And if we fulfill our part of the covenant, he will fulfill his every time. He cannot not do that. Biblical faith is always faith in what God has said. But we exercise faith not in the Bible, but in God Sometimes evangelicals have to be very careful because they hold the word of God in high esteem, and we should, but sometimes they lose sight of the God who the Bible is all about, and they simply look to the word. 
the, you say, well, the word is God because it's God speaking. Oh, yes, but somehow we can miss God by simply looking at the word. That becomes a religious thing to do. Uh, in the Old Testament, they would do that. They, they would look at all the things around God, but not look to God himself. And it become, they become religious rituals that they follow, thinking through the ritual... I will meet God. You won't. You either meet God and the other things have to support or be help in that meeting of God. For Abraham, it meant he had to renounce, and we must do this, all his human efforts to secure this thing called the promise. God made a promise. We're going to discover what the promise is in a minute. But he had to renounce every effort to secure the promise. But he never did he, remember? Because when he was told to have a child and bring the child forth, which was all part of the covenant that he entered into, he came up with his own suggestion to how this might happen. Well, his wife did, and so he went along and they had Ishmael as a result of this. No, that doesn't work. And whatever you do to assist your Christianity to make it feel like you deserve to get this because you've worked hard at this, you've done something, you've, you've contributed towards it, you are missing the mark completely. That's not to say you won't work hard and you won't want to live a holy life and you won't want to do everything that God wants you to do. But don't think for one minute by doing that, it changes your position of righteousness before him because it does not. It's all by faith. He had to renounce all his human efforts to secure the promise and to trust solely in God to work in the present and the future to accomplish what he said he would do. God doesn't rush too often. He's not hurried. That is a problem for us. He says something one day, and 15 years later it appears in our life. And we've forgotten about it even, or we've, we've thought his, it, we never heard him, or he didn't really say that, or that's not possible. Listen, when God speaks, you hold it, hold it, for no matter how long it takes, because he cannot say a thing and then renege on it. It's not possible, and as long as we walk by faith, Trusting in his character. That's what walking by faith is. Believing that this God who spoke it will make it come to pass. I might be on my deathbed when it happens. Actually, I might have died. I might have died before this thing happens. When God said things to many of these Old Testament saints, they died hundreds of years before the thing ever came about but they still live their lives as though this thing was going to happen. Old Testament saints, let's just consider some of them. You go to the Hall of uh, Faith fame in Hebrews chapter 11 and we read about people like Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samuel, David, those sort of people. They lived trusting in the character of God, just like we must trust in his character. It says of them... They were living by faith when they died. That means that which God had said to them, that which they believed, and that which they focused their whole attention on life on, it never materialised. It says, these saints were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised bit sad, isn't it? Yeah, every day they got up trusting what God had said. Remember what he said to Abraham? He said, listen, I want to take you to a place. It's called the city of God. I am the architect of the city and I have laid the foundations of this city. So he says, come on then, let's go. 
And so he walks off with him. And all the other saints of the Old Testament, they were all marching towards this city. It's still not here, is it? Because the city of God that he was talking about is going to come down out of heaven one day and it's going to come to the earth. It's not a physical city. Well, I don't believe it is. But we are going to join with those saints and we're going to stand there and say, this was the city that you were talking about. Thousands of years ago, he said that to Abram. Thousands and thousands of years. And so he lived his whole life with a goal of reaching this city and he died in faith. See, sometimes you'll, you'll have things that you're believing for that God has spoken to you about in your life, but you will die in your faith, believing for them to come. I believe in the covenant that God promises to heal our bodies. And we must walk in faith, believing that he will. But sometimes before it happens, we die. You say, thank you, Philip. Cold comfort, that one. <laughs> it, is, it is a reality, though. You must walk by faith. Faith in the character of God. God has said, if I am the Lord that healeth thee, he said it. Sometimes I wish he hadn't said it, and then we wouldn't have to struggle with the whole reality of it. I am the Lord that healeth thee. If I walk in the covenant of God, and God has promised to be my healer, I must walk by faith, believing that he will heal me, that healing is part of the covenant promise of God that I must walk in. It just so happens I might die before it happens but I will not waver in my faith in trusting in the character of Almighty God. So the first ingredient of a covenant relationship with God is faith. That's the first ingredient. The just, it says, or the righteous, that could be put in there, the just or the righteous will live by faith. We will live by faith. Galatians 3 and 9 says this, so those who have faith, that's you and me, for those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So just as he simply trusted in what God has said, we do exactly the same. Faith then is the key to each and every covenant God made with man. It is the number one essential quality. You need to understand the character of God, hear what he has said, and put your trust in the character of God. What's this promise I've been talking about? Because it's important you understand what the promise is. The four covenants of Scripture have all an essential unity. They express a progressive and expanding revelation of God's plan of blessing to the human race. This plan of God is known as the promise. The promise. Peter refers to it on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2 and verse 39, but I'll read a little bit before. Peter replied, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say, The promise, it's not the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's the promise. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. This is the promise. The promise then is the plan of God in human history to bring a universal blessing to the whole world through the agency of a divinely chosen human offering. That is the promise. It is the plan of God in human history to bring a universal blessing to the whole world through the agency of a divinely chosen human offering. Let's look at the introduction uh, in Scripture 
to this promise. I have to take you back to the Garden of Eden. You remember the fall when uh, Adam and Eve both were rebellious against God and they, they didn't want God to, to be the one to direct their lives. Man's sin was met by God's judgment. Sin is always met by God's judgment. Fortunately, because we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we don't suffer that punishment. That punishment has been poured out on Jesus Christ. But with the judgment of God came also God's word of grace. It was a a promise, the promise. It was a grace word. This was the promise, the promise of the woman's seed or her offspring, or her child, and from that seed, a male individual who would crush the serpent's head. Do you remember that promise in Scripture? This terrible thing has happened. I know that Satan has come in and do this. Now, I promise you, he said, from your offspring, from your seed, one will come and crush the head of the one that has done this to you. To crush his head meant that Satan would be so injured, he would be injured with a fatal wound, because a wound to the head is a fatal wound, that it would be so severe that it would liberate men and women from the bondage that they were now brought into through what he had done with Adam and Eve. Genesis 3.15 puts it like this, and I will put enmity or hostility between you, that is Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring, this is fallen humanity, and her offspring, which we know now is Christ himself. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So we see that as Jesus goes to the cross, he is being struck by the enemy. It's the picture of a snake, isn't it, biting the feet. And as the feet are bitten with the poison, of course the foot crushes the head at the same time. So at that very instant when, when, when Christ is being bitten, poisoned by the enemy, his life is being taken from him, at the same time he is crushing the head of the enemy. Happened at that same instant, that same moment of time. That was God's promise. That's the promise that Paul makes reference to and that Peter is making reference to there. The promise, this is the promise that was promised to us right from the beginning. For 4,000 years, Peter is saying, the promise is this, this one, Jesus Christ, he's done what he said he would do. After the flood, going back now in history, there was a second grace word that was given the blessing of Shem. Remember Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. It says in Genesis 9 and 27, may God enlarge Japheth, these are the blessings to the children, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. He was making reference there to the promise. He was saying from the nation that would come from Shem, which was the the nation of Israel, those people in Cana, that sort of area, he said the promise is to be realised through Shem. The, the Semitic people would bring in the promise of God after the flood. Let's look now at the, the call of Abraham. After the building of the Tower of Babel, which is in chapter 11, doesn't the Bible move quickly through history at the beginning? It seems to rush. And then as you get closer to the coming of Christ, it slows right down, as like it was in slow motion. And then as we move away from Christ, it rushes again to the end. So we don't know what happens at the beginning. We don't know much what happens at the end. And we see this rushing towards Christ, which is the most important thing. And then it, it, it rushes then towards the end of time but he's taken sufficient time to slow right down to explain the most important event in human history, which is the death and the resurrection 
of the Lord. After Genesis 11, we get a whole succession of individuals. And of course, it begins with this man, Abraham, a man called by God. God appointed this man to fulfill the word of blessing for mankind. He speaks it hundreds of years previous to Eve and says, this is what I'm going to do. Now, there was a flood in between and everyone was destroyed and then the human race had to build itself up again. So hundreds of years later, after he had promised this to Eve, did she think that her child would crush Satan's head? It would have been an obvious thought, wouldn't it? Her seed, it says, your offspring, a child that's coming from you, will, will crush the head of the enemy. See, we think like that too. God speaks and we think, it's all going to happen, it's all, but it doesn't. But if God has said it, and we walk by faith and trust him, we just have to be patient with our God. Even before Abraham enters into this covenant with God, the language that God speaks to Abraham with is very prominent in his call. Would it have been really strange for Abraham, um, God-fearing, whatever that meant? He wouldn't have known much about God. God hadn't revealed himself much. He just somehow knew there was a God. Maybe his family worshipped all other gods. And one day this God appears to him. He's 75 years of age. He's no nipper. And he says, I'm going to take you now to a city. Leave everything. Leave your family. Leave your home. And come with me to this city. And for some reason he believed. See, one day you heard the gospel about this man Jesus who died on the cross for you so that your sins could be forgiven and you would go to heaven and you were as daft as Abraham. You believed it. Isn't that wonderful? Faith, faith is a wonderful thing. It, it cannot resist God. If you heard God so clearly at the beginning, have you really heard him clearly ever since? Hmm, I think you probably have. We don't like to admit we're hearing God sometimes because we sometimes want to do something else. I don't think God has a problem in letting us know what he thinks quite clearly. He's not a mumbler, is he? He doesn't mumble. He's very clear when he speaks. Uh, maybe we're not listening some of the time, I don't know what it is. But we need to listen to our God. So when he calls this man Abraham, he, um, he promises him something. It's not a covenant. Often people read this and think this is the covenant. No, some of this was put into the covenant, but this, this wasn't the covenant. Listen to what he says. In Genesis 12, 2 and 3, I will make you, he says, a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is what he said when he appeared to this man who knew nothing of him. Maybe we should preach sermons that talk about the blessing of God in our lives more. So we would have this wonderful introduction to God. What God wants to do in our lives. He packs his bags and follows him. Jesus said the same, didn't he? He said, pack your bags, guys. Come follow me. He said to you, pack your bags. Come follow me. I've got nothing but blessing for you because I'm a covenant God 
and I promise to do this and this and this and this and this and this, but you must enter into the covenant with me. Do you think the subject has been neglected in our church to some extent? It's like, just come to Jesus and you'll get all this. Well, it doesn't quite say that. It says, come to Jesus and enter into a covenant relationship with him and everything at God's disposal, he will make available to you. But listen, it will cost you the whole of your life and everything that you have. Do you want it? You can't love your parents, your wife, your husband more than you love me. You can't hold on to anything. You must let it all go because you've got to let it go to get hold of what I've got. You must be prepared to do this. Oh, that the gospel would be preached in the way it was meant to be preached. He preached it straight to Abraham. I presume Abraham would have had the choice we seem to have choices, don't we? But when God makes a demand, maybe we feel we must respond, whatever the cost. God then makes a covenant with Abraham. The covenant with Abraham was God's solemn promise to him. It was confirmed by an oath. We've looked at this last week. And it was entered into through sacrifice. Its content is very specific. We'll read this and then we'll have a little break and we'll, we'll look at the, the parts of it. Let me just read it to you so you can think about this as we break. It says, Abraham fell face down. This is Genesis 17, 3 to 8. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. Remember, the covenant is God's idea. It's God coming to us. This is my covenant with you. Now, as you read it, this is his covenant with you because we are of faith like Abraham. We are his seed, we are his children. So what's promised to Abraham is promised to us. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. The kings will come to you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. That's important. Every covenant that was written is an everlasting covenant. So we have to read and understand this covenant and it still applies to us today. His covenant lasts from generation to generation and is not, is not rubbed out just because he brings in a new covenant the old one is still established. It still runs on. Now, when Christ goes to the, top, the cross, he stops some things carrying on through history because he fulfilled certain things. But the covenant promises that God made to Abraham, they apply to us today. It's an everlasting covenant. I will make nations of you. The kings will come to you. I establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be their God. God has said it. It must come to pass. Th through history we'll see that the descendants break covenant over and over and over again. 
but for anyone who's prepared to come back into covenant, the covenant remains because the covenant was made between three parties, God, Abraham and his descendants. So the descendants that didn't want it, they came out of it. But all the descendants that came into it, it's yours. And that's you. You came into that covenant promise with God, Abraham, and his descendants. Because we are his descendants by faith. We have entered into the covenant promise of God in this place. There's three parts to the covenant. There is the seed, there is the land, and there is the universal blessing. We'll have a little break now and we'll come and we'll look at these three aspects, these three promises that are made to us. Okay, welcome back. We're going to look at the, the content of these three promises that um, God makes with Abraham in the covenant. It's, it's a promise of a seed, a promise of land, and a promise of universal blessing. As we look at the different covenants, we're going to see that these three promises come up again and again and again. First, looking at the seed then. The ancient promise that he made to Eve is revived at this time. A childless Abraham is promised offspring. He's promised children. He's promised a seed. And he's promised that he will inherit the land of Cana. These children, they would be as numerous as the stars, it says. They would possess the cities of their enemies and they would be the means through whom all the nations on earth would be blessed. Let me explain the seed to you. Throughout scripture, the seed has both a collective and an individual reference to it. Sometimes it refers to just one person, the seed, or the seed could be a whole nation or a vast number of people. Let's look at its collective sense, first of all. The promised seed is linked to the whole nation of Israel, so they are called the seed, the children, Abraham's children. Paul shows us uh, it also includes us. In Galatians 3, 7 and 29, it says this, Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. So we are his seed. We are his children. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to, is the word again, the promise. So we are the seed of Abraham, just as the children of Israel who were children of faith that wanted to walk in covenant with God, they were to the seed. It's also written sometimes in an individual sense. It has reference to, to Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's seed. He was his son. It refers to Jacob being Abraham's seed and also Judah being Abraham's seed. So it was the, the child. The ultimate fulfilment of this idea of seed as an individual person, it is the presence, person of Jesus Christ himself who is called the promised seed who would crush the serpent's head and through whom all families on earth have been blessed. It says the gospel will be preached to every nation of the world in Matthew. So it's, it's, it's an extensive thing. All of those who put their faith in him are his seed. Galatians 3.16 says this, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So I'm sorry it's a bit complicated at times. So the seed could be multiple. It could be the children of the people that we're making reference to. It could be Jesus Christ himself. It could be you. We are all the seed. So he promises Abraham 
that he will bless him and bless him with many children. The second promise is related to the land. In the Abrahamic covenant, the promise of seed is inseparable from the promise of land. They go together all the time. We need to understand why this is so. From the beginning, man has been given a special relationship with the earth. Remember when God made Adam and Eve, he placed him in a garden. He said, look after this land, this, this garden. So in the mind of God, land comes with us. It's together. He thinks in this way. When man fell, the whole creation was destroyed by his sin. And the earth, we know, was cursed because of man's sin. So it just wasn't affected Adam and Eve, but it affected the land as well. The land became cursed. God's grace is extended not only towards man, but also towards the whole of his creation. The restoration of covenant relationship, human redemption, can be understood only as an integral part of the redemption of all creation. Let me read to you from Romans 8 and 19. It says this, The creation waits in eager expectation for the Son of God, sons of God, to be revealed. That's us. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So with the promise of children was also the promise of land. He said, you know, it won't only have many children, but this land, this land of Canaan, it will be yours. So in the mind of God, seed and land always go together. It says in Deuteronomy 11 and 12, it is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from beginning of the year to its end. God is concerned with this earth. Uh, we get very concerned about it now, don't we? As though we're, we're somehow destroying it and all that. And I don't want to get into any political uh, arena here. But God is more concerned for this planet than we are. Don't worry about that. God has an eye on the world. He knows exactly what's going on. And if he's concerned for mankind, he's concerned for the earth because this surely indicates it. The fulfilment of the land promise began with the partial occupation and, con and conquest of Cana under Joshua. He said, you will multiply and grow, but you also you will occupy the land. At the same time, just as the seed of Abraham is ultimately extended to include those who believe in Christ, so too the land promise also expands. God said to Adam, this is your garden. He says to Abraham, this land, Cana, is yours. What is he saying to us? Doesn't he tell us to go into all the world? The world is ours. The land, the land of this world is tied into the covenant promises of God. In Romans 4 and 13 it says, Abraham and his descendants received the promise that he would be heir to the world. The land of Cana, we discovered, is but a staging post on the way to world dominion. That is the kingdom of God throughout the world. Is Jesus coming back to be the king of Israel or the king of the world? He might set up his kingdom in Israel, but he's surely coming back to be the kingdom of the world, the king of all the kingdoms of the world. And we, his people, will extend throughout all the nations of the world without a shadow of doubt. The third promise he makes to him is one of universal blessing. 
the blessings to Abraham, both spiritual and material, that God bestows on Abraham were not only because he was his friend. Remember we said before, because he was his friend, he would do anything for him. And he expected his friend to do anything for him. The blessings that were coming to Abraham were that he might be a blessing to all the world. The blessings that come to us isn't for us. It's that we might bless the world. It could be the world where we just find ourselves, this small circle, or it could be far beyond the area of influence that we believe we only have. So that all the peoples of the earth might be blessed through him and through his offspring. Galatians 3, 8 and 9 and 14 says this, He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. God wants to bless us, that we would bless the world. Does God want Christians to prosper? I believe without a shadow of a doubt. Not that we would live a very swanky, rich life, but we must believe God that God would bless us both spiritually and material, that we might reach out and bless the world, that through the people of God, the world would be blessed. That was always God's plan. That's why Abraham was so rich, that he might bless the world. I know the prosperity message comes under a lot of hammer, really. Uh, but, but, see, not, it's not all bad. There are some bad excesses in everything. But we need to listen to see, is God saying something in this? God doesn't want us poverty-stricken that we can't help anybody. He doesn't want us to be squandering and wasting and, and doing all that with our money, but he wants us to walk in the covenant that we might receive the blessing of God, that we might bless other people, that we might help the poor and the naked and the lonely and the frightened. It needs to flow through the church and flow out of the church as it flowed through Abraham and touched those that were around him. He was an extremely wealthy man. And if God didn't want him to be wealthy, he didn't have to make him wealthy. But it's a picture that God wants the church not only to be spiritually wealthy, but financially wealthy, that it might bless the world around it. We're going to close here with the nature of the Abrahamic covenant. When a preacher says we're going to close here, that doesn't mean anything, okay? So don't get too excited, okay? Um, finally, we're going to note the following important points about the Abrahamic covenant, the points that were brought out through what he said to him. It is an everlasting covenant. We've made this point before. Somehow we think we can close the Old Testament and put it behind us and just look at the New Testament. We would be foolish to do that. We need to understand the covenants of the Old Testament and see what has been retained and what has been brought into the new and expect to fulfill our part so we can enjoy those blessings as well. It remains in force today. Moses, remember when Moses was... Uh, he had this dialogue with God where God says he was going to destroy them all because of their grumbling and complaining and really had enough of them. And what does he say to God? He says, no, you can't do this because you're in covenant with Abraham. He, he holds up the covenant to him and says, you can't do this. You made a covenant promise. Well, God knew exactly what he did and God knew exactly what he was going to do. But he wanted to raise this point up from him. I can't do what sometimes I feel I would like to do because my covenant promise won't let me do those things. That was 500 years after he had made that covenant promise with Abraham. Because of God's covenant with Abraham, God repeatedly intervened in Israel's crises. One example is um, 2 Kings 13 and 23. 
It says, but the Lord was gracious to them and he had compassion and he showed concern for them. Why? Because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Hundreds of years after, he could not break his covenant that he had made with those three. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, remember, he prophesied at the birth of John and declared that God has remembered his covenant with Abraham. That was two and a half thousand years after he made that covenant. It was going from one generation to the next, from, from everlasting to everlasting. Really, once made, it was never going to stop. And then Paul says in Galatians 3 and 14, this is four and a half thousand years later, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. We stand as covenant people. We need to know all the promises that God has made to Abraham. We need to know the conditions of those and we need to walk in those conditions. I mentioned this a little bit before the break about it being a three-party covenant made by God with Abraham and with Abraham's descendants. And I said, as even as one party breaks the covenant, it's still intact because God is still in covenant with Abraham. So anyone who wants to enter into that covenant, we close the covenant again. We can enter into that. The unbelieving seed of Abraham cannot break God's covenant with Abraham. It's impossible. But the promises still stand for future generations to enter in if they meet the covenant requirements of faith and obedience. The last point I want to make here is the covenant is all-embracing. God became their God through the covenant, embraced the entirety of their lives, the lives of the patriarchs, and the totality of their relationship with God. God's covenant with us is all-embracing. It just captures every part of our life. He's in covenant with everything. We made mention of this last week. God is God of every part of our life. We cannot make a decision. We cannot do anything outside of the relationship that we have with God. The spiritual blessings. God would be the God of Abraham and his descendants after him. He would make Abraham's name great and would bless those who blessed him and he would curse those, he said, who cursed him. So our blessings are first spiritual with God. He will bless those who bless us and he will curse those who curse us. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. We have to leave it with God, don't we? We want to somehow uh, take action ourselves. We don't trust God's word that he says, listen, if someone does something awful to you, trust me, I'll take care of it. There you go, oh, I'm not quite sure you will. I think I'll take some revenge here. I, I don't trust you to, to, to stand up for me or to, to make it right or, or whatever. So we are full of revenge or unforgiveness or that's because we don't believe the covenant. We must believe him. He'll take care of everything. Everyone who's ever crossed you, I'm not saying what he'll do to them, He'll probably bless them, okay? But the thing is that you let him do what he wants to do. You let it go. Let God deal with it. Secondly, there are the material blessings. As I said, he had great wealth. There's no point believing in poverty. The poor can't help anybody. Have you noticed that? They can't do anything. They can't even meet their own needs. There is no point in being poor. 
we need to have open hearts to receive everything that God has got for us, to believe that God will give us ample supply so we can meet the needs of all the ministries. Doesn't it say that in Corinthians? that we should believe him to give us enough that our own needs are met and we can send money to every area of ministry where we want to send the money. We must believe God for that. God will provide every one of our material needs. Thirdly, a new status or understanding. He changed Abraham's name, didn't he? From Abraham to Abraham. As soon as he entered into the covenant, he called him by a different name. Isaac, his son, was named by God. He never called him Isaac. God called him the name. And he gave Jacob another name as well, didn't he? He came and he said, you shall be called Israel. Israel. You've got a new name, haven't you? You were once called sinners, but now you're saints. We're not sinners saved by grace. I'm a saint, a child of the living God who walks in covenant with my God. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. All the old has passed away and the new has come into my life because of the covenant that God chose to call me into. The blessings of the covenant that God cut with Abraham, they'll come to us. But we, we walk by faith. This covenant is all about faith. When we look at the next one, it's all about obedience. So you've had it easy tonight. Okay, it's about faith. It's about faith. It's about trusting in the character of God. Our part is to live a life of faith, and I must say obedience, although we're not there yet, but it's faith and obedience to God's word, yes, but to God himself. Don't idolise the word. Keep your focus on God himself, the person of God. Blessings are both spiritual and material. They will flow into our lives as we walk in covenant with God. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 31, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, they'll be given to you as well. My life and your life too, I'm sure, it's a living testimony of the spiritual and the material blessings of God. The devil wants to pull you away from that all the time. He wants to show, oh, you're suffering here, or you're, you're, not, you're not succeeding there, or this is difficult, or that's difficult. You need to stop sometimes and reflect on the blessings of God. They're just, they're just so many. Have you ever tried to write them down? You'll get fed up, I tell you, before you finish. No matter how much time you set aside, when you start to just jot all the blessings of God down, they're innumerable. Because you're a covenant child of the living God. They say... Is it important I know what you're telling me? Well, to, to some extent, it's not. Because you've learned to walk like this, maybe without knowing this, somehow it was conveyed to you by the Spirit of God, and you just did it, and you couldn't put all this into words, and you didn't know all the scriptures, but you could say, what you've said is true. I know, I'm, I'm experiencing it, I'm walking in it. But, of course, when we know and when it's confirmed to us, it puts us on a much firmer foundation so that when the enemy comes with his lies and his accusations and his attacks on our lives, we go, this doesn't work because I've not only got all these testimonies, but I've got the word from God 
a God whose word can never fail me and I stand sure on his word. God bless you. Amen. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and please come on back next week for the final lesson in our Covenants Part 1 module. You can also partner with us at Arise Ministry by going over to our website at ariseministry.org.uk and you can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.